Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Here in the Bay Area last week, the eerie wildfire season light was back. Thank the Dixie Fire, now the second largest in California history at nearly half a million acres. The fire, which began July 14th, leveled the small town of Greenville, is still far from contained and threatens thousands more structures. We'll get an update from a Greenville resident and check in on the fire's progress. But first, coastal communities around the Bay Area will have to reckon with sea level rise, but who exactly should pay for the coastal defense? Google and Facebook have built and are continuing to build fancy campuses right along the Bay. Maybe they should foot the bill. That's coming up on Forum after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. If you head to Facebook's fancy Frank Gehry-designed headquarters in Menlo Park, you'll notice that the whole massive arc of a building sits essentially on stilts high above the ground with parking taking the first floor. Look across the street and you're staring out at the southern expanse of the bay. These two facts are related. The company's response to the almost certain sea level rise that could cause flooding near the campus was to jack up its buildings. But that's not likely to help other residents of nearby communities as sea level rises some number of feet over the next 80 years. How should we defend that shoreline? And how much should tech companies with big campuses along the bay chip in to pay for that protection? That's the subject of a hard-hitting recent story by Lauren Summer, climate change correspondent at NPR. Joining us to discuss the story is Lauren herself. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, thanks. And we also have Mark LaBelle, a professor in the Department of Environmental Science and Policy. He's the director of the Center for Environmental Policy and Behavior at UC Davis. Welcome, Professor LaBelle. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, So, Lauren, let's start with you. Just kind of walk through the facts as we know them. Can you tell us about Facebook and Google's developments and planned developments in the South Bay? Yeah, and if you've kind of driven in the South Bay, you've seen it. If you come over the Dumbarton Bridge, right, you can see Facebook's campus kind of right there on the waterfront, as you said. Um, and further south from there, you know, obviously a lot of folks know Google is in, in Mountain View, but they've bought a lot of property in Sunnyvale, an area called Moffett Park, which is right on the shoreline there. So, you know, Facebook has built a lot in their campus. They're still expanding. Google has bought almost, you know, more than 70 properties in Sunnyvale. They have big plans to build. And of course, being right on the shoreline, there's a huge risk now that we know that sea level rise is coming. Um, you know, the IPCC report, this big internet National Climate Report that came out this morning, you know, reinforced that we've got sea level rise baked in at this point. You know, by mid-century, we're going to see waters rise. 
And these investments by these technology companies are just enormous down there. Do you have a, a sense of like the scale of the real estate investments they've made? Yeah, I mean, looking at tax records, is, which is, you know, the most reliable thing I could find, you know, Facebook, you know, has built a ton. Their their properties are worth more than $2.5 billion. Looking at the properties that Google has bought just in Sunnyvale, that's almost $3 billion. So these are huge outlays of capital. Um, and, you know, not to mention building these, you know, very state-of-the-art campuses, green campuses. That, you know, there's a lot of effort and money going into these areas. So we know that sea level rise is baked in in a general sense, but for these properties, what would sort of the mid mid range projection uh, look like? Would they be underwater? Yeah. So essentially, you know, we have some guidance from the state of California saying kind of recommending that when people are building on the shoreline, you know, by mid-century, they should be preparing for just under a foot of sea level rise to almost two feet of sea level rise. That's a good, you know, number to prepare for in terms of defending your shoreline. Um, And those numbers definitely put these areas at risk, put them underwater, because in both spots, there are levees, right? These kind of like big piles of dirt, right? To protect the shoreline. Um, But they're not engineered to protect people. They don't meet federal engineering standards because they were originally built for salt production. A lot of folks know, right? The South Bay was once used for in these massive salt ponds. Some are still being used today. Um, Some are being restored to tidal marsh, which is a very important form of flood protection as well. But these levees kind of just aren't up to the task of sea level rise. and, And that's the big concern about flooding as we look ahead. Yeah. Uh, Mark LaBelle, professor at UC Davis. Um, Tell us about the risk level of this particular part of the bay relative to kind of the rest of the the regional uh, shoreline. So South Bay in that area is one of the the hot spots that uh, has been identified by BCDC and they're adapting to rising. That's the Bay Area Conservation Development Commission. Yeah. Yes, thank you. And, um, you know, there's transportation corridors in that area and uh, vulnerable communities also in places like East Palo Alto in that area. So it's a fairly high risk area that um, is relative to the whole region. And and it also, um, it's not just the average sea level rise. It's what will happen if there's in a big storm, a like a big uh, atmospheric river that comes in and dumps a lot of rain and all the flooding that that can come from that in addition to sea level rise. So it's kind of uh, when you have the flooding, it's it's too risk at once. Got it. And Lauren, you know, we talked about some of the other communities that are in this area um, and you talk to people from those places. How do they view the risk of sea level rise and, and what should be done to protect both their communities as well as all the surrounding sort of businesses? Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty clear, right? It's not just tech campuses that are at risk here, right? You know, if you take the Dumbarton Bridge, you should care about this issue. Um, there's power lines, there's roads we all use, you know, a lot of people are affected by what happens on the shoreline. And so most areas of the South Bay are opting to defend their shoreline. They are planning to build bigger um, levees that are going to kind of prepare for at least some measure of sea level rise. But these are huge projects, hundreds of millions of dollars um, to kind of defend these shorelines. And that's the real kind of key moment in the Bay Area right now, which is how do we pay for this? This is not in city budgets. This is way more than most cities can afford. And these huge projects are kind of, you know, since everybody relies on them, but some people rely on them more than others, the question is who's going to pay for that? Yeah. 
Professor LaBelle, you look around the region and the country. Who has figured out how to fund uh, protection from sea level rise, if anybody? Well, I don't think anybody has figured out how to uh, pay the full cost of the infrastructure that's needed for sea level rise or even really knows um, what the full cost will be eventually. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to be in the hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars nationwide. And it's going to be a combination of local, state and federal funding that's going to be needed to do it. And yeah, I just don't think anybody has figured it out uh, completely yet. There are some regions in the country that have invested more local resources in it um, in response to some extreme events. Uh, In San Francisco, we've passed a couple of, uh, I should say more broadly in the Bay region, like uh, a a couple of measures, local measures, like measure AA to fund part of it, but uh, certainly not all the money is in place right now. I mean, it seems, saying with you, Professor LeBeau, it seems that the most common way to do this would just be to put some sort of parcel tax on property taxes and, and assess that why why can't or why shouldn't um, municipalities or counties or whatever set of jurisdictions, why shouldn't they do that? Well, I, I think that's going to be part of the solution for sure is to have local parcel taxes of various sorts. I mean, that is what Measure AA does. It's a, it's a parcel tax. And... Um, but that's probably not going to be enough to co- cover everything. And, there, and there's a there's a lot of different funding mechanisms that people are exploring at the local level besides parcel taxes, including things like, uh, you know, adding uh, money to tolls and um, special assessment areas, mm-hmm. things like that. And, and then you have uh, state bond measures that are going to provide some money and you have um, Biden's infrastructure bill will provide some money for flooding uh, mitigation and things like that. So it's going to be that portfolio of funding that we're going to need to pursue um, over a pretty long term to get all these projects done that are expected to be needed. Yeah. And Lauren, some are coming back to you. That is one of the subtexts of, of your story is that there or really one of the texts that, that there is this big gap and you also have this huge pile of money, huge cash pile sitting at these technology companies, which are building these massive campuses. Were you able to talk with those companies and ask them about them just for what it's worth? We did invite them on the show and they declined. Were you able to get um, real responses from them on this topic? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of break down some of the numbers for you, too, but, um, you know, especially around Menlo Park and East Palo Alto, you know, they're looking at a very big project right now. Um, and so, you know, East Palo Alto, obviously kind of this stronghold of a low income community of color, you know, the one that's left in Silicon Valley, you know, they're putting in seven point eight million dollars for this levy project. That's a lot of money for them. Facebook is going to rely on the same levy. They're putting in um, 7.8 million. So, you know, a little bit more. And then they just applied for this very large federal grant from FEMA that's going to be $50 million if they get it. They should hear maybe in September about that final number. Um, But the kind of flip side of this is that you have hundreds of projects around the country that also wanted funding from FEMA, and they did not get any in this round. Um, And so that's where some of these tensions are coming in, um, which is, 
kind of folks around the country saying, well, why is this project, you know, with this particular company that has deep pockets getting the money and we're not, right? Or or you're saying, you know, why is Facebook maybe putting in the same amount as East Palo Alto, you know, about the same amount? You know, there's no formula. That's the trick, right? There's no formula saying, well, okay, here's sea level rise and here's who's at risk and here's how much money you should put in. You know, is it federal? Is it is it state? Is it local? I mean, that's where the real tension comes in. I I did not hear from Facebook directly. They did respond to some questions in writing, and and they felt that they were doing their part to protect both their campus and the local community. And is there a difference between how Facebook and Google have been approaching this issue, or is it primarily been the, the same? Yeah, it's interesting because Google's projects in Sunnyvale, they have a couple things under construction, but they, they haven't really started the bulk of what they want to do, right, which is really re-envisioning this area, which is kind of mostly this office park now, into something else. It would have housing. It would have um, office space. It would have community areas with walkable bike paths, green space. They have a very green vision for what they want to build. And certainly, you know, housing in such short supply is is direly needed. Um, and so the kind of question there is, for the city at least, you know, they're re-envisioning this area, but do they want to put thousands of people, you know, they're looking at up to 20,000 housing units there, do they want to put thousands of people there in that flood zone before a levy is built? Because it's likely to take decades to get these projects built, and they don't know where the money's going to come from at this point. So the question there is a little different, and Google is, is very actively participating in that process. They're actually kind of debating whether to build their own temporary flood protection before this massive public levy is built. So um, there's a really active conversation about how do you build in these flood zones? When do you build? We're talking about technology companies in the Bay Area and plans for defending against regional sea rise with Lauren Summer, climate change correspondent at NPR, and Mark LaBelle, professor in the Department of Environmental Science and Policy and the director for the Center for Environmental Policy and Behavior at UC Davis. What questions do you have about the cost of sea level rise and how to tackle this issue? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal, back with more Forum after the break. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Bay Area technology companies and the plans for defending against regional sea level rise with Lauren Summer, climate change correspondent at NPR, and Mark LaBelle, who is the director for the Center for Environmental Policy and Behavior at the University of California, Davis. Um, Professor LaBelle, before the break, you had mentioned the Biden infrastructure plan. Do we know how much of that money we're going to get um, for this kind of sea level rise protection here in the Bay Area? Um, I do not think we know yet exactly how much money might hit the Bay Area specifically. So that's to be determined. And I think that, uh, you know, what Lauren was mentioning about uh, different local jurisdictions or states and trying to compete for that money is going to be one of the issues we're going to see at hand there. Got it. And in addition to traditional levees, we mentioned that some of the salt ponds that used to be down there in the South Bay are being turned into marshes. Is that a big part of defending against sea level rise in this particular part of the Bay? Or 
are the levees and the marshes and some other <laughs> technologies or, or solutions going to be required, Professor Lubell? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's it's always a mix of green and infrastructure, such as restoring uh, wetlands and gray infrastructure, such as building levees and seawalls. Um, the exact portfolio uh, depends on the nature of the shoreline and the built environment in particular places, like, for example, on the Embarcadero in San Francisco, you're really not going to be dealing with uh, restored wetlands so because you, you already have an existing seawall there. So so that needs to be improved. Um, so and then there are other innovative ideas out there, elevating buildings. And I believe Facebook um, is already doing some elevation of some of their buildings and even floating developments. And there was a uh, competition called Resilient by Design a few years ago in the Bay Area where they proposed a number of uh, innovative design uh, features for, for development along the shoreline. So yeah, it's a portfolio and it it's really depends on um, the nature of the shoreline, exactly what the, the best mix would be. Yeah. Lauren Summer, uh, Bill asked one of our listeners, how about simply banning development on land that hasn't been built up high enough above current sea level? Yeah, that's an idea that that planners like to call managed retreat. If you're moving people out of that area, but if you're just banning any building there, that's a really tough issue for cities, as you might imagine, right? I mean, a lot of cities want to encourage development. They want to bring in jobs. They want to bring in housing. Um, you know, there's already a lot of infrastructure in these areas, like power lines and wastewater treatment plants. Um, so, you know, in a lot of these spots around the Bay, as people know, we've, we've built in a lot of these areas. Um, you could ban all new building, but you'd still be faced with this question of, do you defend what's there or do you retreat? Do you pull back from the shoreline? So these are really hard issues for local cities to be grappling with, right? They want a tax base. They want property taxes and things that help their budgets. And yet they're being asked to kind of grapple with these huge long-term questions of climate change at the same time. And, and that's where we're really seeing kind of the real tension right now. Yeah. Professor Lubell, is there one coordinating entity that could even be imagined to take on the responsibility for coordinating the shoreline defense from sea level rise around the Bay Area? Uh, that's a bit of uh, the uh, the holy grail that people are searching for in regional planning. There, there currently is no single agency or single plan that coordinates sea level rise adaptation in the Bay Area. Um, the I would argue the, the leading agency is the Bay Conservation Development Commission, which yeah. I uh, mentioned earlier, and they do have a, a new project um, uh, coming out, a new planning project, the Bay, Bay Adapt project that will have a, a, a regional plan, but that will only provide some, some guideposts. It doesn't really uh, mandate any action by anybody and there's a lot of other regional agencies with authority to do things that need to act and lots of local governments and and there's a um in the bay area is a very uh independent at the local level so none of the local governments like to be told what to do so it's a very difficult uh challenge to try to to coordinate everybody yeah another listener tweets lauren summer I pay a lot of money for levy protection for my house in the Central Valley. Why don't we have levy districts for the Bay Area? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting 
that's the kind of code that people are trying to crack right now, right? Which is like, how do you assess for this type of thing? Um, and you know, places where that rely on levies heavily, right? We, we see that definitely see that in the in the in the Delta. Um, they kind of have methods to pay in. You know, some San Francisco passed a bond. You know, for for their large project in the financial district, we're starting to see you know local taxes being passed for stuff like this. Um, you know, Menlo Park. You know, in their general in their code, they have the ability to um, charge new developments fees for sea level rise protection in particular. They gave themselves that power. They just actually haven't put that policy on the books yet. Um, mm. So each area is trying to figure out, you know, what are folks willing to pay for and how. And then the real question becomes: the closer you are to the shoreline, does that mean you should pay more. Yeah, and your story kind of posed this really tough question, which is, is fair share based on how much risk you're facing, or is it based on your ability to pay, right? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's ethics, right? That's not necessarily a scientific formula that you can you can use. And and Google in particular is interesting because one of the reasons they're kind of giving the city of Sunnyvale um, to, to let them build what they want to build is to say, well, if you let us build here, um, you're creating the financial base to pay for these large projects, these large shoreline defenses. Um, you know, when you have lots of people and buildings here, we can chip in more and we can help get these things built. And, you know, some experts I talked to had had some issues with that, saying, well, that's justifying putting a lot of people in a flood zone. Right, right. It's like, well, if you endanger more people, we'll reduce the danger faster, <laughs> seems to be the argument there. Yeah. Um, Trish writes, would the engineering be possible to create locks at the mouth of the bay in the vicinity of the Golden Gate Bridge, which might control the level of the entire bay perimeter? If so, all bay cities and entities constructing buildings that might be affected could contribute to a sink cost of a single point resolution instead of every city reinventing its own costly solution. Professor Lubell? Well, there have been proposals of that sort. Um, a lot of times when, when Dutch engineers come and visit and uh, talk about what we should do about sea level rise, they, they have in mind these very large water control infrastructures. Um, you know, there's a lot of the costs of that are, are massive. Obviously, you can imagine that trying to, uh, you know, build some sort of gate across the, the Golden Gate would be an incredibly expensive engineering endeavor. And then you know, there's a lot of ecological issues possibly with that and with the way the water is flowing in and out of the bay. So I don't really see that being a, a truly viable uh, solution that's going to emerge in the Bay Area. Question sort of on the, the other end of the sort of ecological spectrum. Um, I'd love to hear Lauren and Mark, this is a Christina tweets, discuss the practicability of using the operational landscape units developed by the SF Estuary Institute and Aquatic Science Center for the SF Bay Shoreline Adaptation Atlas. I assume what this means is, you know, we have uh, a bunch of political jurisdictions, but could we actually operate from a, a place where we're taking into account the actual ecology of the bay as we try and make these decisions, Professor Lubell? Yeah, um, the operational landscape units are uh, uh, a landscape type of concept, a geographical concept that San Francisco Estuary Institute put into the Adaptation Atlas. It looks at uh, different types of shorelines and what the appropriate adaptation actions might be on those shorelines. Uh, for example, some of them are more uh, appropriate for uh, wetlands and green infrastructure, some of them more for gray infrastructure. And I, and I do think they are uh, very useful. 
um, they are, I would say, have become pretty much the, or at least becoming the standard type of geographical unit that people are thinking about in the context of sea level rise planning right now. Um, so, yeah, I think they, I think they're a great idea, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the next generation of the, the adaptation atlas. Great, um, Lauren Summer. Last question. What should people really be looking out for as sort of the next step in this debate and battle over what's going on in the South Bay? Yeah, in particular on these projects, you know, the the Menlo Park and East Palo Alto levy, they're going to hear maybe in September about this big federal grant. You know, over the next year, Sunnyvale is studying all this development in Moffitt Park. But I would just add, you know, local city councils are making this, these decisions all the time around the Bay. You know, these are local decisions about where we build, how we build, you know, how we're thinking about climate change. So, I mean, you can find this playing out just about everywhere right now. And, um, you know, this is where the real key decisions are, are happening. We've been talking with Lauren Summer, climate change correspondent with NPR, and we also have Mark LaBelle, a professor in the Department of Environmental Science and Policy. He's director of the Center for Environmental Policy and Behavior at the University of California, Davis. Thanks so much to you both. Thanks. Thank you. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.